0: So how's everybody doing? Good. Nice and socially distant. Uh, Doing good, I'm sure. Uh, So we're in the middle, uh, week three of our series called Burn Bright. Uh, And it's been a really great series. I find that um, what's really happening so much in the world right now is the church is really uh, almost, I would say, being forced to rise up and be the church once again. Uh, I think that for a long time, I mean, really probably centuries since Jesus was here, uh, church was kind of a staple, you know, in in people's lives. and, And while maybe we had seen declines throughout, you know, the years and ups and downs and good times and bad times, the church has always been this shining bright beacon in the world that people always knew they could run to right? Like the scripture says that, and the title of my message is, is that the church was called to be the city on a hill that men would be able to run to. And, you know, since all of the different things that have been happening in the world right now, I'm realizing, you know, I read a lot of church blogs and a lot of church thinkers because I'm really interested to understand what is the world saying about church right now is, is that the church um, is is really getting ready to for the first time maybe in a long time step into a very aggressive stance where the world is concerned that we have come to this understanding that church in a sense uh, has no longer become a staple or the traditional sense of gathering together which each of us know is so valuable hasn't necessarily remained a staple in people's lives. And so, you know, you hear people scrambling and churches scrambling in response to, you know, the COVID-19 and everything. And really there is this voice that has been perpetuating throughout society saying that we as the church need to begin to rise up and once again be the church, right? Which, which I think is kind of something that you think is you know sort of funny. Because I think that we always thought that we were the church until now we're being forced to actually have to be the church and we're like, oh shoot, like oh, maybe, maybe we haven't really been the church. And, 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 and that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning and really what we've been talking about all month this month is what does it look like to actually be the church, okay? Okay. And we talked about this last week with, you know, we were talking about the story of the prodigal son and, and how Jesus uh, is the older brother. That story of the prodigal son was written. And there was a scholar who said that, that, that this story was written to create a craving on the inside of us to have an older brother that would come for us, that would chase us, that would run after us when we were lost. And I was saying that, and in the midst of it, you know, I'm saying that, you know, yeah, that's you, Jesus, and you're so good and you're so amazing. And then I went home on Sunday afternoon as I was re-watching the service and I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't have to just be Jesus, right? That we can be a church of older brothers who follow Jesus's example and go after the lost, the hurting, the dying, the broken people that are in our world right now all around us, right? And and, and yes, you can get excited about that because it's a privilege and an honor for us to be the ones who get the opportunity to carry the message, the message of hope, the message of life, the message of transformation to a world right now that's searching but doesn't necessarily know that the one they're searching for is the Jesus that we know right history and churches and culture has sometimes preached a very different expression of God and we are the remnant of people who will carry the true image likeness the true reality of who Jesus is we want to be the city on a hill that people can run to right people are not going to run to us because they should But if you haven't noticed that people run to a lot of different things, even though they should be running to Jesus, people right now, I mean, the statistics of what we're learning through the season of COVID is that people are running to a lot of things, alcohol and drugs and so many things that they think are going to solve their problems, but only make their problems worse. They need Jesus but we have to be the ones to show him this is actually who Jesus is. Okay, so we're going to start in James chapter 2. And for those of you who read your Bible, when you notice that I say James, you immediately shudder because James didn't have anything comfortable to talk to us about at all. And while I'm excited to share this chapter with you, uh, you know, when I say excited, it's really the excitement is also mixed with a significant amount of, you know, trepidation and nerves. Uh, because, the, you know, we're going to dive into this portion of Scripture this morning. Uh, and the portion of Scripture is really, um, contextually, one of the most debated, critiqued portions of Scripture in the Bible, you know so no big deal that's all we're doing today we're just gonna you know dig into that you know we're just you know approaching verses that have you know divided entire people groups you know that have split denominations and made enemies and you know that's our assignment today and you know i was thinking you know how many of you are glad that you are not preaching today um and so so we're gonna buckle we're gonna we're gonna go down this road and we're gonna approach the scripture uh but i'm gonna ask you to you know buckle your proverbial seatbelts. not for my sake uh, but really for James's sake, because James, not Alex, James is not going to pull any punches today. Um, you know, he's going to tell you and, and tell us in this passage of Scripture what he really thinks, okay? Now, let's get some context to the passage of Scripture is that, you know, keep in mind James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? And during the ministry of Jesus, the three years that Jesus really had the visible ministry, James... Uh, he was not a believer. He didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't follow Jesus. Uh, but post-resurrection scripture tells us that Jesus appears to James, and he's like, you know, you know, hey, James, you know, gotcha. Uh, you know, it's me. I'm real. Uh, and James, obviously, you know, when you read through his letter, he obviously has a radical conversion. You know, the, the grace of God is revealed to him, and he becomes one of the greatest leaders and teachers in the early church, right? In fact, Um, From what we can tell, the book of James and the book of Galatians are some of the earliest letters that have ever been, that were ever written in the New Testament, right? James is in our Bible towards the end, but chronologically, James is actually one of the first letters. James is one of the first people to begin to write, to establish this is who we're supposed to be as Jesus' followers. And because of that, because he was one of the first and had understood so much, he becomes one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest leaders um, in the early church. Okay? And, you know, and, and we're going to read that James really becomes a voice to the community. Okay? Now, another piece of context is remember that when James is writing, James, um, he's not writing this book, the book of James, he's not writing it to non-believers. Okay? He's not running into people who don't know jesus james is writing this letter specifically to people who know and who are you know through the grace of god trying to live in the lifestyle of jesus okay so because of that this book you know the nature of this book is direct and when i say direct i mean very Can I say that again? Very direct, okay? And and essentially what James is doing is James is writing this letter, uh, kind of acting as if he is a father, okay? That he's like a dad and he's talking to his kids, you know, and if you've ever had a father figure or a father in your life, you know, you know, kind of what I'm talking about, you know, the dad talk or like the direct dad talk, you know, my dad is typically, he calls it breakfast, right? My dad wants to get breakfast with you. And, and you know that's code for a direct dad talk, okay? So if we can put this book into context, the book of James is a direct dad talk, okay? So let me say, if at any point as I'm talking, you feel the urge to get mad at me, I am your brother, and together, let's get mad at dad James, Okay? <laughs> And I'm gonna ask that you simply take it up with the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the one who inspired James to write these things. This is not me, this is James. And and we're just simply trying to live in the image and likeness of Jesus. So James chapter one twenty six says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. (laughs) He's just getting right into it. religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world, okay? And so in the original language, this literally means that that, that James is telling us, do not adapt to or adopt the world's system, okay? Don't Don't adopt for yourselves the way the world values things, okay? That we are, as Christians, meant to have a whole different value system by which we approach our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we interact one to another, okay? Now, it's important in this, uh, because we're actually at the end of chapter 1 right now, uh, but it's important to remember that originally when James wrote this letter, he didn't you know cut the thought off start chapter two and go right we know that later in in history we were, you know we added chapter and verses for our own study for our own ability to memorize and i'm so thankful for that that it wasn't just this one long run-on book that you're like i don't even know where to find this it's somewhere like two-thirds of the way through the middle half of the second page and Right? So we have to remember that when James originally wrote this letter, he didn't separate them. This is verse one, end of thought. This is, or this is chapter one, end of thought. This is chapter two, end of thought. This is one continuous letter, and they would have, in the early church, they would have read it, not separating chapter one and chapter two, but flowing together. Okay? And this is important for context uh, because James chapter two is gonna get heated. Okay. But we have to remember the context. Okay. The context is not that James is just getting heated for no reason. James is, the context is, is that you have adapted to or adopted some of the world's system, right? And dad James is stepping in and he's saying, listen, guys, it's not okay. You know, not in my house, not in my family. And from that perspective, let's go to chapter two and verse one. It says this, my brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes to your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, and if you pay attention to the ones who wear fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are you, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. For he who says do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food and you say to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. If you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was that Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac to the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, And faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. And in the same way, was that also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. David is saying there's no life, right? So, you know, that's all. No big deal. Pretty light stuff. Uh, Should be really smooth sailing as we try to unpack all this. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We ask that you would illuminate your word. Your word is the light, the lamp to our feet. And so, Lord, we know that as we open up your word, as we read your word, as we accept your word, that it becomes light in us, and that light leads us into the destiny that you have laid out for us. We ask today that we would see Jesus because we know that when we see him, when we see you, Jesus, will be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I remember um, a few months ago, um, it was over, I think it was over New Year's. Uh, my family and I, we took a trip. We kinda took an annual trip together. We went to Florida. Um, and one of the nights uh, that we were in Florida, we went out to eat. I think we were going to Shake Shack uh, because if you've ever had Shake Shack, it's amazing and you should eat there every day. Uh, but we were going out to Shake Shack uh, to eat dinner and while we were eating dinner you know my dad and i dropped everybody off and we went and parked you know and my dad found this like amazing parking spot which he typically always does uh and i looked and looked and looked and ended up having to drive like way to the top of this you know like the the car parking garage and and, uh, and while I was there, uh, I realized that the night that we had chosen, there was this big thing that was happening. They would do these things there. It was actually so much fun. We have videos of all the kids dancing. But they would do this kind of like festival in the park. And so because of that, this particular you know, area drew like an absolute ton of people. And so because of that, obviously by the nature that I had to park at the very top of the parking garage, there was an absolute ton of people that were there. Uh, And so, you know, I get in and, you know, I I try to get down, push the elevator button, and, you know, when it's busy, you end up waiting for like 25 minutes, and in the 25 minutes, you're like, I should just take the stairs right now instead of waiting because I'm going to wait so long, but you never actually take the stairs. Anybody ever been there before? You're like, it's definitely going to come now. It's definitely going to come now. It's definitely going to come now. And you think I could have gone up and down the stairs like 25 times by now, Uh, but nonetheless, I continue to wait. And you know, finally, when I get into the elevator, it's me and an absolute ton of people that get into the elevator because there's so many people that are there waiting to go and have fun and do whatever they're gonna do. Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of like crunched. You know, if this is the elevator, I'm kind of like crunched over here, sort of against the wall, and it's jam packed. And, and 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 you know, the, you hear from the thing, you know, like hold the door, and somebody like runs in, and it's a father and a son, and they kind of like crouch in. Uh, but they get crouched in at the absolute wrong spot in that the father is here, the son is here, and the buttons are here, right? So we're all we're all I mean, we're all kind of in a rush some in a rush more than others And and it kind of becomes this game that starts happening is that you know the, as the door goes to close You know the kid like hits the button and the door opens back up again the door's gonna close. The kid push the push the doors open up again. And this is going on for a while. And the dad, nonetheless, is, is sitting there kind of talking on the phone and totally oblivious to the fact that we've been standing still for probably five minutes now, and his kid is continuing to push. So it's kind of like becomes this game of chicken as we're like, is it gonna close, is it gonna close, is it gonna close, and the kid is like, oh, right? And, and at this point in this whole thing that's happening, you know, I'm on vacation, so I'm rather chill. Um, it kind of becomes a funny game to me as I watch what's happening and I watch the interaction of all the different people as they're getting ready. And, and you can start to hear, you know, at about the fifth or sixth time this kid has stopped the doors from closing, you begin to hear an uprising happening in the elevator, okay? And, and mind you, it starts quiet and then you start to hear whispering. You're know, like, can you believe? It actually mostly is about the dad, okay? Can you believe this, dad? is just sitting there talking on the phone, and we're just waiting here. But I mean, as a parent, right, I, I, I feel that, and I had sympathy for the guy, because I know, like, sometimes you get caught up on the phone, and, and you forget that you even have a child, right? <laughs> that happens to I me. Mean, the other day, I was outside, and I ran outside, and Danielle was outside, and she's like, where's Lola? And I was like, oh my god, I forgot we had a kid, right? So I, I, I sympathize with him as we're, we're watching, as I'm watching this happen, you know, and from the back, there's this guy, and why does it always have to be a guy? But it was a guy, nonetheless, you know, and he just lets it out. He's like, this is ridiculous okay and at that point the dad obviously you know like you know he kind of gets the clue and he he grabs his son the doors close there's like a golf clap that happens as we all get to go finally eat dinner uh, and then the elevator goes down to the bottom floor, and the guy from the back, who's outraged, you know, like essentially just like pushes his way out, you know, just super rude in front of everybody, you know, shouldering his way through. Everybody's kind of getting bumped and pushed, and as he like makes this super dramatic exit, uh, all because this kid was pushing the buttons. And and why do I bring this up today? Uh, because today uh, I might push some of your buttons. Um, <laughs> Okay, you know, like, ah, right, 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 cool, cool, cool. Like, I see where you're going with that. Uh, But I'm going to ask, you know, don't be like the angry guy at the back. You know, don't form committees against me uh, because I didn't write this book. God uh, wrote this book. But can I say, though, in saying that, um, if I get through the whole message today and I have not pressed a couple of your buttons, uh, I'm going to say that we got a bigger problem on our hands. Uh, because this passage is so applicable, it's so relatable, it's so challenging for all of us, and by all of us I mean myself included. Uh, uh, so let's, you know, just kind of agree as we dig into the scripture that you know we're we're just like all in this together, and you know you could go out there and say hey to me and high five me, and that's cool. Okay, so let's get back. James chapter two um, is a chapter that is not for the faint of hearted yet. It is a chapter for all of us, okay? Now, as we wade into this passage of Scripture, I'm going to encourage you the whole time we go through this is to keep the context, okay? Because this book that James is writing, this is coming from a loving heavenly father, right? He's a good father, and he loves his children, and because he loves his children, he challenges his children. So James, as a father, is going to challenge us our church, our community, and our individual lives to be more like Jesus, okay? So the chapter starts off saying, you ought to show no partiality or favoritism, okay? The New American Standard Bible says it very clear. It says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism, okay? What he's saying is, he's saying like, look, guys, you hold this faith in your heart like first of all because god was the one who put it there okay you hold this faith merely as a recipient right not as an earner not as a deserver the only reason that you hold this uh is that god was the one who put this thing in our hearts and 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 i want to remind us that this is how we all got here Okay? You know, for those of us that are here today that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, right? He, you know, as our deliverer, as our forgiver, as our redeemer, let's remember how we received this free gift was that we received it just by receiving. And so what James is saying is, is you know, you hold this, but you, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You don't merit it. You just accepted this and you just received this so what james is saying is like do you do you see the irony in this that you have received i have received this purely 100 percent pure gift from god that you did nothing could never do anything to deserve it while at the same time playing favorites with people and treating some people as less valuable okay now Keep in mind, like, let's keep the context here, is that much is made, right? In James chapter 2, much is made of, you know, there's a lot of things, but I believe that the key to unlocking the, the understanding of what James is talking about is understanding the context of how he's talking about value, Okay. He's saying, like, you have been so valued by God. You know, he gave his life for you. He, you know, he he extended to you forgiveness and everything you need. And now you're showing different kinds of value for different kinds of people. And that's not okay, right? In fact, as we're going to read later on, he's going to say, it's sin. Okay? Now, the example that he gives is so crazy polarizing and so real in Bible times. And oftentimes we miss it because we aren't living 2,000 years ago in a Jewish culture, okay? Uh, and it seems super strange to us that this crazy polarizing example is James essentially, essentially talking about a seating chart, okay? Uh, and, but the thing is, is that seating in that culture, there was like this cultural customary hierarchy of value that was placed on you. And the way you saw that was where you were seated at a party, okay? You know, in, in fact, there's some record in early churches that, you know, men would sit on one side of the synagogue and women would sit on the other side of the synagogue, right? And that's why Scripture says, like, don't, like, make sure that women don't talk in church. This is absolutely nothing to do with that women shouldn't preach, which don't even get me started on that one, okay? But the reason why it says that in church was simply because women weren't educated, Okay, it just wasn't culturally a thing that they would do. And so what would happen is, is in the synagogue, the women would be on one side and the men would be on the other side. And in order for the woman to talk to the man, she'd be like, babe, babe, what what does this mean? No, 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 what does it mean? You know, and the husband's like, shh, he's like, oh my God. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know her, right? And, and this is the thing is that women were seen as less valuable, okay? So, so the, the idea of this, where people were sitting, was such a real dynamic inside of this particular culture, Okay? The, you know, and the rich and the poor are talking about them was a great platform for, for James to begin to address this concept to us, okay? So he says, like, guys, this is what's happening, okay? He says, for instance, a rich man, uh, and, and notice that when he's talking about the rich man, He talks about there's a gold ring on his finger. And this was what would happen there is is that, you know, he was wearing a a gold ring and he was wearing beautiful clothes. And and we don't know this for sure, but people speculate that James is referencing like politicians or influencers in society. Because they were the ones who would wear these gold rings and they would be a signet ring and it would be a sign to the people around them. Of their power and their authority in a particular area so people would see the ring and they'll be like oh this guy is important okay and and I think that what James is doing here is is he's saying like when somebody walks in and, and they have pull or they have power inside of the community he's saying that you automatically begin to cater to those people right you value them because of what they can do for the community, as opposed to you don't value other people because they maybe can't necessarily do anything, or they look different, or they act different. And so because of that, you start treating these people differently, okay? Now, this, we sit here and we think, yeah, totally. But this is a super challenging concept because how many times do we give value towards people simply because they can do something for us, okay? And, and, and this is why in James chapter 126, he says, I want you to go and spend time with orphans and, and widows. Because essentially what James is saying to them is, is is hey guys, I want you to create a culture where you sow life intentionally into people who have absolutely no ability whatsoever to do anything or give anything back to you, right? And, and, and I thought about this. Do you know why God emphasizes this? I'll tell you why. Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us, okay? And, and, and let's talk about big picture here. Big picture is God. God's absolute main objective, Okay. Maybe it's to get us to heaven, yes. But aside from that, his main objective is to get us to look just like Jesus. He wants us to look like him and to live like him, okay? And, and, and what the, the scripture is talking to us about is, is that Jesus shows us that this is a part of his nature, This is a part of just what Jesus does. Jesus gives and sows into people who have absolutely no ability to give anything back. The scripture says it like this, while we were still sinners, right? Jesus saying, listen, you could do nothing for me. You weren't working for me. You weren't praising for me. You weren't advocating for me. You were doing nothing. And while you were in that state, that's when I chose to die for you right John 3:16 for God so loved the world that whosoever right whosoever right whosoever right what God is saying is like listen i get that there's no guarantees right he said i'm going to do what i'm going to do and you can accept me and you could reject me and you could choose me or you could not choose me uh, but i'm going to give my life not because of anything you could do for me. I'm gonna give my life because this is who I am. I am who I am, and I do what I do because this is who I am. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And this is gospel living. This is what it looks like to look like Jesus, right? If we have been recipients of this scandalous love affair from God, how can we then... Pick and choose who we assign value to. So he says this there ought to be no partiality in the church, okay? Now, notice what he says in his example, and, and it's a metaphor. He says, you, 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 you say to the poor man, sit down at my feet, okay? Now, we breeze past that, right? And we're like, oh, that's cute because Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and so that must be like a nice thing to do, okay? but the jewish reader who is the audience not us although we have become beneficiaries of it we were not the originally intended audience jewish people were and they would have known what sit at my feet means okay because poor people in that time were actually considered non-people okay Poor people were actually considered to be not people, right? They were essentially like children, right? Their culture would have classified you as a non-person, right? Like, do you remember the scenes in Jesus's ministry when the little kids run to Jesus and the disciples have this huge issue, you know, and, and they're like, you know, like, what's going on with these kids? And they, you know, they push them away. They're like, no, kids, like, get away. You know, like, he's not Santa. He's the Savior, right? And they have this, like, issue with all this happening. And Jesus is like, what? Jesus is like, whoa, 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 like, let the children come to me. And this was such a contra- culturally controversial statement because the disciples in that time would have been like, why, why do you want the non-people? Right? like why do, you, why do you want the people, like the kids? Why do you want the poor people? Why do you want all these non-people? These are not even considered people in our culture. Uh, and, and what James is saying is that that value system has seeped into the remnant of the redeemed. He's saying, you're talking to the poor people, and you're telling these poor people, sit at my feet, right? And and essentially, in other words, what James is painting a picture of is, you're saying, you know, well, you're less than me, right? You're a child, and so, you know, you're a uh, uh, non-person, and so sit down here. And James is saying, that can't be who we are right? This mentality, this idea can't be who we are, right? And, and I think that furthermore, there is a nuance in this passage of scripture, okay? And, and sometimes we can skip past it, but I, I think that James, while yes, he is addressing the community, he's more specifically addressing the family, okay? Now, can I say something about preference inside of a family, Okay, because you know, there's preference in a family and then there's preference outside of a family, right? Outside of family, you know, there's tons of preference, right? You like choose your friends, you choose your car, you, you, know, you choose the city you live in, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You choose all those things. But once you get inside of a family, right? Relationally speaking, like I'm talking about moms and dads, okay? Favoritism or even preferential treatment can be absolutely destructive inside of a family, right? Like maybe some of you grew up in a family, like we joked about it in my family, like you're the favorite, you're the favorite, you're the favorite. It typically always ended up that I was the favorite, but then I was like, no, Jess is definitely the favorite. And we kind of like did this weird circle, okay? Uh, But here's like, maybe some of you actually had parents and it was obvious that they treated somebody, they had favoritism towards somebody. And I would ask like, you know like how how successful, how unhealthy was that in your life, right? and what James is saying is that, listen, guys, like like there could be no partiality, there could be no favoritism inside of a family, right and you know it, it's like he's asking like you know, you talk about being a family and we talk about being brothers and sisters, we talk about our big brother Jesus, but are we really just the crowd or Are we really a family? And and if we are a family, family means we're all equal. Family means we're all family. Family means we're all on the same level. And this is what I feel like God is saying this morning and, and I implore us as Light City that we don't be the crowd. That we actually be and look like the family of God. That we have preferential treatment for everybody. Not some, not others. Not because this person can do this and that person can do that. But we choose together. We're a family. And because of that, we're all equal. Can I tell you one of the most cancerous, you know, toxic, destructive behaviors in a family you know, by leadership or anybody inside of our community is knowingly or unknowingly giving preferentials. I mean, this is one of the main tenets of family. And if it's broken, it will erode at us as a family. This is what I heard the Lord say to me as I was preparing this teaching. Are we going to be the city on a hill? Are we going to adopt or adapt to the world's value system? Or are we going to live out God's values? Right? Because this is who Jesus was, right? This is absolutely what Jesus did. I mean, like, everything that Jesus did and said and was was so crazy radical, right? Like, I was thinking about it, and, and it was like this, right? Like, I, kind of, I want you to imagine that you're walking down the street, uh, and as you're walking down the street, you see a, a small anthill, right? And you see all these little ants, and they're running around. And you go like, man, like, I have just got a crazy passion for ants, right? Like, I got to reach these ants. Like, you know, like, pastor, have we ever considered having a mission towards ants, right? And so you're like praying, like, God, like, I want to help ants. And, and, and God looks at you, and he says, okay, But the only way for you to reach ants is you have to become an ant and you're like whoa like that's heavy like that is serious like what's their lifespan again you're like how short like oh shoot but there's no way to reach them unless you become an ant and then once you become an ant you are always going to be an ant and yet you choose the assignment. And can I tell you, that doesn't even scratch the surface of what our eternal, glorious big brother Jesus did when he strapped on skin and bones and moved into the In fact, the Bible tells it like this, that he will forever be in the form of a man. The Bible says that we'll be able to touch his side and put our fingers in his hands because he chose to be man and now forever is confined to the form and yet he still chose it. This is what Jesus did. When you look at it like that, now you begin to understand why James is like, you know, like, are you, like, guys, like, are you serious? You can't even give the poor guy a chair? Like, you know, he's saying like, we're, We're supposed to be the city that people run to. We're supposed to be a people of gratitude. We're supposed to be the people that realize that we were sinners and we had no hope and we were saved by grace. And and he's saying that, listen, like every single man, woman, child, boy, girl, like we are all like, it doesn't matter your race, your gender, your orientation, your sexual preference. Like we are God's children. And because of that, we're supposed to be different than the world, right? We aren't supposed to give preferential treatment because, you know, I like this group of people over here, and I don't understand or like this group of people over here. So I'm just going to hang out over people and the rest of you guys, you know. And James is like, absolutely not. Like, this can't be the behavior that we see inside of the church. That we're to live out the antidote. We're to be the answer. And the Bible says it like this, that, that, that repentance, that people's hearts turning towards God isn't the response of shunning, right? You ever like shun somebody all the way to church? Uh-uh, never happened. What did the Bible say? The Bible says that my heart is turned to God because I become a witness. Who do I, who do I, who do I see? Well, I see you. And you act so much like Jesus that my heart is now turned towards Jesus and I want him. So he says this in verse, in verse six. He says, you have dishonored the poor man. And in this culture, this is a crazy radical statement. Right? Because, you know, the recipients would have been like, like, what? Like, typo, right? Like, excuse me, like dishonored, right? It's it's impossible. This is. How do you dishonor a person who's a non-person? Like this isn't possible, and James is saying, like, listen, guys, this is the value system of your father. So this concept of dishonoring the poor man would have been like absolutely groundbreaking, and you know they would have sat there as they read this letter. They would have been like, whoa, like what? Like wait a minute, like these people are worth. They are worthy of honor. And Jesus seemed like, yes, absolutely. And not because of anything they can do, but simply because they're people. Just because they're a person, they are deserving of the highest honor that we could give to anybody. Verse eight says it like this. He says, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And and James is kind of doing a throwback, a callback to one of Jesus's teachings. And, you know, we remember he's giving this parable about the Samaritan, you know, the good Samaritan. And you know, at the at, you know at the end of this, as he's kind of talking, there's like a lawyer, right? It's a well-versed person, and you know he like raises his hand and you know thinking he's going to get Jesus, probably like super smug. He's like, "Well, Jesus, tell me like who's my neighbor, right?" And and that's how I imagine it happening. Uh, and, and, and and Jesus, you know, tells this whole story about you know who our neighbor is, and you know it's filled, you know, by the way, with like prejudice and racism, and and these things are just like absolutely packed in there, and you know, and, and it's such a controversial, intense story and at the end of it jesus you know asks the question who is my neighbor and and there's only really one obvious example but the answer to the question would be the answer that would go against culturally thousands of years of hierarchical value and they're stuck and 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 jesus says like listen the, the 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 royal law is fulfilled not simply by asking who is my neighbor The royal law is fulfilled by actually being someone's neighbor. The act of neighborly love that we do is what it means to be a good neighbor. This is what Jesus was talking about, right? So now, I'm going to give some examples, and I'm going to look down because they might be uncomfortable. If you treat your boss better than you treat your coworkers, That's a problem. If you treat your, treat your waiter as though he's invisible, right? That's a problem. You're like, I said no, geez, right? And I expect this to be free, right? Thank you very much, right? Oh, and by the way, like, you know, you should come to Light City, right? Like, you know, and I'm gonna say, please, you know, don't, if, if, if that's you, please don't, don't endorse us, right? We We don't need it, right? And and, and I mean, like, here's the deal, right? There's so many practical examples of favoring people who can do something for us, but almost, you know, like ignoring or enduring people who can do nothing for us, okay? Now, here's the deal, is we all come to this intersection in our life, okay? And the intersection is the intersection of truth, truth street and tradition drive. Okay. And this is an intersection that we all face in our life. And I'm here to tell you this morning in Buffalo online here that oftentimes truth will contradict. It will trump tradition. Okay. That We all have in our lives many areas where we don't live by truth, we live by tradition. Okay, and this was exactly the problem with the 12 tribes, is that they had so much tradition, okay? They had, you know, so much history, they had... Thousands of years, deeply entrenched in this was the way that you're supposed to do something. Entrenched in, you know, traditions and customs and, you know, cultural values that the truth of God, you know, in fact, Jesus says that, you know, the very cornerstone that you've been searching for, you you tripped over him, you like totally missed it because they were so deeply entrenched and their customs and values, that they totally missed what the Word of God had prophesied for thousands of years, right? So now here's the deal. If you're sitting here, and I've pushed some buttons, uh, because truthfully, I'm I'm, like pushing some of my own buttons right now, right? You got to know this. It's like, I don't like this either, okay? But we want to grow, okay? I don't want to be the same I don't want to be the church that thinks people are supposed to come to us and wonders why people aren't coming to us. I want to be a church that in a region, people, when they're hurting and broken and seeking life, I want to be the first thought in people's heads that I don't know what to do, so I got to run to Light City because I don't know what's happening there, but they definitely got something good going on there. So many of us, right, we're taught traditions about, you know, like people who don't look like us, right? And, and like Jewish believers, we're taught the very same way. Right, We're taught about, you know, they were taught about the Samaritans, right? And they had a feeling about the Samaritans. They had taught about the Romans and they had a feeling about the Romans. And, you know, there's many other people groups that they were taught about. Uh, 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 And here's the deal. We're not here to make enemies of people who taught you those traditions. What we're here to do this morning is we're here to raise the standard of truth for our lives so that that truth can trump previous traditions, We are, right, we're not pursuing political parties. We're not pursuing agendas or ideas. We are pursuing the truth of Jesus Christ. Why? So we could look like him, live like him, act like him. So here's the deal. Like, it's going to happen, right? It's bound to happen. In fact, I would say it has to happen that we come to this moment where our traditions are confronted by the truth of God's word, right? And, and we have to be willing to like lay our traditions on the table and say like, you know, like this is what I thought and, and and this is what I was taught and this is what I used to say and this is what I used to do. You know, and you know, oh, well, Alex, you know, like I'm 72 now and this is just how I am. And, and I believe that the word of God can change us at any age, at any stage of our lives. The truth of God's word can change Trump any tradition. The question is, are we willing? Right? And that's, I believe, what God is asking us. He's like, are we willing to say, you know, like, God, here's here's my traditions. and, And we become a people who seek to understand rather than judge each other. That we become listeners, people who listen more and talk less. Right? He's telling us that we ought to have no, any kind of favoritism, that there should be absolutely no devaluing. Because that's just, like, it's not who we are. And, and it's like, why? You know, like, because we're noble, and it's like, no, 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 like, you know, quite, quite the contrary, right? We are this way because we are so broken. And because Jesus came, put on flesh and skin and bones And he put us back together, and we're just like, oh my gosh, Like we are so blessed. Like, how did I get this? How is this so good? And because we realize it's so good, we want to give as much of that goodness. And and I want to say, let's be that church who invites people in who look different and act different and seem different and sound different and smell different. That we invite those people in because we say, this amazing gift that I have received, I'm so desperate to give that gift to as many people as I can. Right? And he says this. It's going to, you know, it's going to get good, you know, gooder and gooder and gooder, right? He says, he says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin, <laughs> And you're like, wait, what? Like, sin? Really, James? Like, you know, like prejudice, sin, favoritism, sin, right? And, and, and like, can I just say, like, if that isn't pushing your buttons, I, I would say that we're probably just ignoring them because, you know, like we do this in so many different forms, you know, like racism, you know, stuff that's happening in the world today. and I'm not just not even going to get into it. But racism obviously is like the most extreme, toxic, wicked form of partiality. And, and we do it on a grand level. And we also do it in small ways, right? You know, actually, in fact, watch what he says next. He says that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty of it all. Okay, so watch what he does here. Uh, he says, you know, like, do not commit murder and also do not, or do not commit adultery, do not commit murder. He says, but if you do commit adultery, uh, if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law, right? So you see what he just did there? And, and, and another translation actually says that you can't pick and choose, okay? So, and, and, but this is, this is what we do, right? And, and, you know, chances are, and, you know, if you're in here and, and you have, you know, God can forgive you. We'd love to talk to you after, but chances are there's not a murderer in the room amongst us today, right? But there may be people in the room who've committed adultery, okay? And now let me give you a little bit of background inside of Christian Church, if you online aren't familiar with the Christian is You know, like murder and adultery, like those are the big guys, you know? Like those are the things. Like if somebody walks in and they're like, I've committed adultery, you're like, oh my God, like this person has committed adultery, like, okay? But, you know, the church doesn't really talk much about gossip, right? But, and if we do, we call it like, you know, sharing with a brother and sister so that we can pray for them, right? <laughs> right? And, and that's the thing is that we pick and choose, right? You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, that your joke was just super inappropriate, you know? And, and I'm like, well, I think it's fine. Like, you just need to relax a little bit, you know? And, you know, but it devalued me or it, it devalued this people group. It devalued my friend who is of certain lifestyle and you know you're, oh, it's just a joke like come on you know and then you go home and you you know you tell yourself like oh my gosh this person at church like man the world nowadays they're just triggered by everything like people are just so darn sensitive and and james says that's sin you know we're doing our best to you know steer clear of murder <laughs> hopefully we do our best to steer clear of adultery, you know, hopefully. And, you know, and I think that's why James says adultery and murder, because he knows the recipients would have been like, you know, well, I'm not a murderer. Like, oh, I've never done that, right? Like, oh my God, like, not me. Like, adultery? Oh, you know, like, maybe them, you know, like, I still have my marriage. Like, thank God. Like, look, at what i are talking about that person, right? And he knew and, and in the process of it, we justify the little things. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, you know, like, I want you to change your sense of humor, right? Jesus is saying, like, I want you to change how you talk to your coworkers. And can I tell you something? That is hard. But this is what makes us a refuge. This is what makes us a safe place for people to be able to run to. What's up, buddy? You want to preach with me up here, man? Verse 12 says this. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy. Right? We're talking about mercy. And James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Right? What is mercy? Mercy is simply not getting what you deserve, right? Not getting what you, can you imagine what it would look like if we were dispensers of mercy, right? And, and this is what I say, what does it look like to be a dispenser of mercy? I call it giving people the benefit of the doubt perpetually, right? Where you're like, he didn't mean it, right? And then he does it and you're like, no, 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 he didn't, he didn't mean that. And then again, you're like, no, 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 there's no, he, did, he didn't mean it. No, 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 I'm totally good. Like, I know that you, right? That's what it looks like to give someone the benefit of the doubt perpetually. Why? Because I have received, because I need mercy. Because I have received mercy. Because there's a lot of things that I do in my day that I'm like, dear God, mercy, right? Because I need it and I have received it I now have to be the one to give it. And James is saying, listen, here's the deal. If you want mercy, you need to give out a little bit of mercy. Yes. Stop being the judge. I'm thinking that you could be the judge of others and the mercy receiver of yourself. He says, that's not how it goes, right? And, and this is what I think that James is writing as I start to close. First of all, James is, like, he is very sneaky, you know, he's a very super shrewd guy, and that, you know, and he gets to verse 13, and here's what's happening in James's day. Like, people, you know, they were receiving challenges like this. It was the early church, and, you know, and, and they were saying, you know, like, you know, like, like, this is great and all, and, and, but I just, I just have faith in God, you know, like, I don't get all the social stuff, and I don't get all this cultural stuff, and it's just a crazy time, but, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just trusting God. You know, and you know, you know, and Alex, like this week, you know, good message, bro. Uh, but it just really, it really just wasn't for me. You know, but at least, you know, at least I'm believing God. And, you know, and, and James, being the good dad that he is, he's, he steps in and he's like, no, 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 wait, not so fast. You know, like, you're not going to get off that easy because James wants us to grow. And it's like he's asking us this question like, do you actually want to be a family? Or do you wanna just talk about it? Do you wanna say you're this one big, happy, loving family of Jesus Christ? Or do you wanna actually have the lifestyle actions that display to people the goodness of God that would lead them to a place of repentance? He says it like this: What good is it, my brother and sisters, if someone says they have faith? And this was literally happening, right? Uh, and, and you know, truthfully, like, I, I would say that this still happens today, right? And, you know, they're like, I have faith. And, like, that's totally great because we know that faith pleases God. Uh, But then James comes in and really cuts you at the knees. Uh, And he says this, you know, like, that's great, guys. But, you know, the demons, you know, they also have faith, right? The demons also are saying that I believe. And, and, And all too easily, it becomes a habit where we start thinking that knowing stuff, right, singing songs, listening to sermons, is the same as being the visible expression and living out the love of Jesus. When often the love of Jesus is demonstrated, what James says, by taking the coat off of your back and giving it to someone who is cold right? It's action. And, and James is saying to the church, like, let's actually, guys, like, let's just stop talking about Jesus, and let's just stop showing up. Let's actually go out into the streets, and let's actually be the light. Let's actually show the world what it looks like, to be in relationship with Jesus. Like, yes, totally. Let's come to church on Sunday and let's praise and worship and let's get all spiritually freaky and do all those things. But then on Monday, let's go out and let's start giving out coats so that it doesn't just end on Sunday, but that the world can see the visible expression of Jesus. Why? Because that's who we are. Okay? Now, about this time, you're like, whoa, dude, like this is so heavy. Like you need to stop, right? And you're like, you know, 26 verses, like, this is way more than what we normally do, okay? But here's the deal. The two examples, and, and I'm done here. The two examples come in at the end, and they rescue us because here's the deal. If you're like me and you read this, you're like, well, I'm out, right? I'm, I'm about disqualified me on chapter 4 or on verse 4, right? You know, he says, like, you know, if you think you're disqualified, if you think there's no chance, you know, I'm too old. I got too much tradition. I can't change. I can't be like this. I don't understand the culture. I don't know how to be relevant, right? This is what Abraham says. He says, but look at Abraham and look at Rahab. Now again, we have to try to put ourselves in the Jewish mindset because, you know, when they receive this letter, you know, James chapter 2 is like literally hit after hit after hit and Challenge after challenge after challenge. And, you know, by the middle of you, you're just like, come on, James. Like, I'm sweating just reading this, right? Like, like please, James, just relax. And, 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 and he goes, listen, like, here's two examples, Abraham and Rahab. And at this point, the Jewish mind would have gone sideways because they know Abraham's story and they know Rahab's story, right? And, you know, and, and like, you know, and, and Abraham is the father of faith, You know, and it's awesome, but like, man, did that daddy have a lot of issues, right? He had a lot of challenges. The Bible says it like this that Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him as righteous. And that's Genesis chapter 15. It's not till Genesis chapter 22 that he offers up Isaac, right? And in that passage of scripture, you could maybe read it in 35 minutes, but in Abraham's life, that's approximately 20 to 25 years, right? And do you know what Abraham, the father of faith, right? The guy that we are to look to. Do you know what he did in those 25 years? He took things into his own hands and made some pretty serious mistakes that have had some pretty serious consequences. And at the end of this, you know, challenging chapter, James is like, you know, like, hey, look, Abraham, he's a great example. And you sit back and think about it and you're like, is he? Right? Like, are you really, James? Like, Abraham, you think? he, You know, and then he, he talks about Rahab. And, you know, Rahab, she's an Egyptian, right? And, you know, I'm thinking at this point, James, like, don't you think it's about time? Like, it's been thousands of years. You know, can we stop calling her Rahab the prostitute, right? And, and this is the part of the story that, like, totally blows my mind. Um, is that, it, and, and, and the Jewish mind would have thought about it this way is that, you know, like, like Abraham received, right? First he received. It says that he believed and he was made righteous, but Abraham didn't act on what he believed for 20, 25 years, okay? And then Rahab is that even before she believes, even before she believes, she's acting as if she believes, right? It says that she's, before she even confesses that your God is the God, right? She does eventually say that, but that's after she's already lived out these actions proving that she believes. And so you have Abraham who believes and doesn't act and you have Rahab who acts and, you know, doesn't believe. And James is like, he's saying like, listen, wherever you are in your journey, don't lose heart, Right, it doesn't matter if you believe or you don't know if you believe or you act or you don't act. Listen, the point of this whole thing is that we would read this and we would hear this and we would examine our own hearts and we would challenge ourselves that wherever we are, whatever's going on in our life and we make the decision I want to be the city on a hill that people can run to. You know, I had this thought as I was writing on this is is like I'm thinking that, you know, we could become like a unicorn in the city right? And, and here's the deal. You, like, understand what I'm saying is, like, that people come to us, and they're, like, you know, the people will be, like, oh my gosh, like, look at all these crazy things that are, are happening in your church, and they're, like, oh my gosh, like, who goes to your church? And, and, and here's the deal. Like, we, we say, you know, like, I want to have a church that looks like heaven, and that's all awesome, because, but I think that we're going to go to heaven one day, and we're going to get there, and we we'll are gonna be, like, holy, look who's here. Like, can you, believe, I wouldn't even let that person sit beside me in church. Like I didn't even, this guy was kicked out of this place. And we're like, how did this person get here? And this is what, this is what heaven eventually is going to look like for us. And so what if we could be the kind of church where Abrahams and Rahabs and people who are from all different walks of life and people who are righteous and unrighteous and sanctified and not sanctified and people who like this and like that and who act like this and who act like that and who've done this and who've done that. And we say, Come walk Come all. Everybody's welcome here.